Broadcasting live from the R&R studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, presented by Tequila Embajador. All right, Lincoln, I want to throw some names at you. You ready? Uh, I guess. (laughs) Jason Allen, Derek Hagan, Joe Toledo, Fred Evans, Roderick Wright, Devin Armashoto. Do you know any of those those people? No, no. What are these? All right. Hang hang on. Okay. hang Hang on. Troy Williamson, Erasmus James, Marcus Johnson, Dustin Fox, Seatric Faison, Adrian Ward. Still, no. Yeah. All right, so I've been doing um, some research on, um, you know, the, the Raiders 2020 draft class. Um, you know, it's it's getting it, – it, unfortunately kind of fell apart uh, for the Raiders. There's still, uh, you know, three players that are left, Amik Robertson, um, John Simpson, who's playing, I think, fairly solid uh, in his first year as a starting left guard, and Brian Edwards, who's had some some nice moments uh, mm-hmm. for the Raiders. I think he has mm-hmm. to improve on the consistency. He's still a young wide receiver. Um, you expect that, uh, you know, better days are still ahead. Outside mm-hmm. of that, obviously, we know what Henry Ruggs and, and, and Damon Arnett um, – you know, uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., right. uh, Tanner Muse. We've gone through it. Um, but my what my research search, uh, um, Lincoln, has been, all right, is, is it unusual for draft classes to just completely wash out? Is this like, you know, uh, an egregious, egregious error by the Raiders? And what I'm finding out, Lincoln, not really. That, that the first group of players that I, that I, that I um, mentioned to you, mm-hmm. That was Nick Saban's 2006 draft class mm-hmm. with the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other group was the 2005 Minnesota Vikings draft class. Nobody right. from any of those draft classes amounted to anything. Um, and I could go on and on. There's a bunch of – even the Raiders have had some uh, bad uh, draft classes. Here's the 2012 San Francisco 49ers draft class, right? A.J. Jenkins, Jenkins – LaMichael James, Joe Looney, Darius Fleming, Trent Robinson, Jason Slowly, Cam Johnson. Um, none of those guys. Yeah, stand out, right. Right. Exactly. Well, that, that was my point yesterday, what I was talking about. I know, about. No, like, no, it's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it it's, got, it's, it's not unusual for it to happen. You know, most people don't notice it. They'll make, big, they'll make a bigger deal when someone gets it right collectively as a class. You have contributors and, and turn out to be all pros and stuff like that um, as a draft class. But more times than not, it's, it really is. It goes unnoticed when people don't get it right, if it's not your team especially. Right. The 2012 uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, Justin Blackman, remember him from Oklahoma mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Uh, State, didn't do anything. He was out of the league in a couple of years, really. He was just kind of a, a immature kind of a kid. Uh, Andre Branch, Brian Anger, a punter. Uh, Brandon Marshall, he turned out to be a good solid linebacker without question. Mike Harris, Jarris Pendleton. Um, it's, it's, it's not unusual for teams to have 
bad drafts. The 2008 Jaguars, uh, Derek Harvey, Quinton Groves, Thomas Williams, Trey Williams. They, they, they liked their Williamses that year. Chauncey yeah. Washington. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's 2013 Dolphins, Deion Jordan. Remember, he was like the fourth pick in the draft, I think. Never mm-hmm. really amounted to anything. Had a stick with the Raiders. Jamar Taylor, Dallas Thomas, Will Davis, uh, Jelani Jenkins, Deion Sims, Mike Gillespie, uh, Caleb Sturgis, a punter, uh, Don Jones, a safety. So, I, you know, I'm not making any excuses. I'm not, I'm not here to do that. It was, a, it was not a good draft, as it turns out, for the Raiders last year. Um, Henry Ruggs was um, – you know, I, I did talk to a general manager today, uh, an NFL general manager, and I was asking him this very question, Lincoln. Um, what do you consider a success, you know, in, in, a, in a draft? And, and, you know, you get a couple of starters, hopefully, out of a draft. But, you know, the expectations or, or the classification for what a good draft is by teams, you know, um, expectations, it's, it's not, you, you're not going to hit on every pick every it's, it's very, very unlikely that all seven make your 53. If you're just drafting seven players, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let alone finding, you know, good quality starters or multiple good quality starters. Um, you're, you're basically hoping get a couple of starters, you know, a swing tackle, a good special teams player. It's, it's funny though, that every fan thinks that every pick is going to be an all pro player. And that's yeah. the expectation that fans have. Within the game, that's not realistic. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It's not realistic. What you want is you want you want to be able to draft young men that can contribute to your roster, and, and given the position or given the need, um, you know. For case in point, when they they drafted Colton Miller and Brandon Parker the same year. They had a needed offensive line. They needed to address the offensive line issue, just like they, you know, the year that they drafted Henry Ruggs. Uh, they needed they needed wide receivers, and you see, they went all out and used the what I think it was three out of the first four picks on wide receivers. I think it was something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, so they went all out to address it because they had a blaring need, and you're hoping that those young men could come in and contribute to your roster, add to your roster, especially the first round pick. The reason why you draft guys in the first round is supposed to be impact players. There's supposed to be guys that can contribute right now. Um, you know, you don't you don't draft a, a guy in the first round and have him sit on the bench and learn. No, you have one to come out there and, and be an instant starter. So that's why you do what you do, and you're hoping that they can do that in some way. And and sometimes, it, again, it's a crapshoot. It's like I talked about yesterday extensively. It's a crapshoot. It's it's one of those things that happens. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it don't. Sometimes it takes a little while for the guy to develop. You hope that he can develop while he's still under contract, and you don't have to make that decision around the, if he's a first round. You know that, that, that fifth year option. Um, you don't have to make a decision there, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, the, the, and for a case in fact, you know we're, we'll still decide what do you do with somebody like a Cleveland Farrell, who I think has potential. I think he's played out of position, um, but that's just me. I'm not the one who's making the big decisions. Right. You see what I'm saying? So, but at the same point, it comes down to you know when it, you when you come with. Those three first-round picks, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, Cleveland Farrell, what are you going to do? They've got some decisions to make when it comes down to it. You know what I mean? So, yep, uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's things like that that you have to be aware of. Yeah, you do. And, uh, you know, the feedback that I got talking to some people in the NFL today uh, on the, on the quote-unquote Raider misses, um, on our net, uh, the consensus was, you know, they – Raiders probably felt like or understood that there was uh, a possibility that there's some problems, you know, off the field, but felt like they could get him on the right track uh, and the talent warranted it. Didn't work out. Um, 
they the the the, the feedback that I got uh, today was uh, that maybe John Gruden gave up a little bit too quick, too too quickly on uh, on on uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. and probably the same with Tanner Muse. We talked yesterday about you know the the circumstances involving Tanner Muse. You had to make some room for somebody that you, that they felt was going to be a they needed they needed linebacker. They, linebacker, they lost yeah. Yeah. Javin White and they lost um, uh, Nicholas Morrow. Mm-hmm. They had to bring in a veteran. They had to cut somebody to make room for the veteran. But you know the thinking was you know in, in the people that I talked to maybe John Gruden gave up a little too quickly on Tanner Muse. Uh, and then the last one was Henry Ruggs and and the people that I talked to you can't predict that. No, that's something that's just unpredictable. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. And Tanner Muse can turn out to be a pretty decent player. We'll see what, what his future is uh, with the Seattle Seahawks or wherever he also, you know, his, his career takes him. Uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. Um, he still hasn't done anything yet. Is he, is he even the starter? No, 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 no. Not with the mic. No. Uh-uh. So, I mean, I mean, so look, it's like, you know, you, 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 you take – you take a player that showed some upside, some possible upside out of Kentucky, and I didn't study him well enough to know his background or anything else. It, I, I thought it was a project in the works, but I thought the Raiders needed, you know, had to address a wide receiver spot or this spot, you know, a, a dual type of threat player, um, you know, uh, that we've we've seen a few of those in the league in, in, in history. So, um, but it didn't work out, and you just don't have time to develop. You have to you have to have an impact. The way it is right now, you have to go right now because you don't have time to sit down and, and and work with guys. It just doesn't work that way anymore. It, it, it isn't. Um, although you know, like I'll I'll, I'll bring up a, an example of a guy that um, the Raiders are in a good position to work with and bring along. Um, you know, teams that I've covered, there's there's there is some redshirting going on in the NFL. You know, where a guy might stay on your roster and maybe play some special teams or or maybe not. Um, you, you feel okay if you have to press him into duty, he'll be able to play. But ideally, you kind of want him just to, to learn and sit and learn and observe and, and develop. Um, a guy that fits that category to a T right now is Malcolm Kuntz. And we're eight games into the season, and he's starting to turn a corner, according to his coaches. He hasn't played yet because he's on a development track right now. And the great thing about that, Lincoln, they don't need him. They haven't really needed him because everyone's playing so well at that position that they have the luxury of bringing him along slowly. That's you hope that you could get your roster Lincoln to a situation where uh, to a point where you can take a development guy like Malcolm Koontz, who has a superior pass rush stat, and now he needs to uh, or, or, or skill, and now needs to you know uh, work on some other areas of his game. Uh, and and now has and maybe it's his time now to get on the field. I think there's you're going to see him over the second half of the season. Um, so there is room for that in the NFL. Well, I mean, yeah, when you have that luxury, but that's when yes. you, that's when you do well. Like you got guys like Carl Nassib who are, come, are playing a lot better than in the first year when the Raiders exactly. acquired him. We were worried about if he was actually going to turn out to be a player, right? You've got yeah. Ngakwe who comes in in the free agent and he's having a stellar year. You, you've got you know Max Crosby is playing well. So the defensive ends, the positions where you drafted Malcolm Kuntz to play, the guys in front of him, as you mentioned, are all playing well. So you don't have a need for that. So then you have that luxury of bringing them along. But somebody 
like a John Simpson, when they drafted John Simpson, they knew that he was a project. They knew that it was going to take some time. They still didn't – they weren't prepared to have him as a starter. You didn't think that Richie Incognito was going to be available or Denzel Good was going to go down. So all of a sudden he's thrusted in, maybe uh, uh, maybe before he's actually ready, having to learn trial by fire. He's taken some lumps over these first eight games. He's taken some plays, but he's also played a lot better significantly over the past three, four games than he did in the first four games. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's 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 – exactly who we're talking about, John Simpson. Uh, because of circumstance, he's had to get out there and, and, and play. I, I think the ideal plan really was for him to be to be put into that position next year. Right. After a couple of years, getting some playing time because that was, you know, going to happen. You're going to you're going to get um, injuries are going to happen. You're going to have to to play. Uh, this was probably a year ahead of schedule for him. But, you know, he's holding his own. By the way, you know who exactly was that it was Andre James. And you know who's playing really well lately, Lincoln? Andre oh. James. He's playing better, yeah. <laughs> no, we talk about mm-hmm. um, you know the grades and everything like that mm-hmm. by Pro Football Focus. He's had two really strong across the board, pass blocking and run blocking. And I know um, on Sunday against the Giants, sitting up in the press box, I turned to a couple of colleagues on about four or five plays where I'm like, he is moving people right now. Not only was he moving people, Andre James, he was getting he was he was knocking guys off on the first block, then getting out to the second level and making a, an effective block uh, at at that level. I it's just it was noticeable how much better he's been playing. He's had a better understanding recently um, of the scheme of what expected and calling out and designating the right people and getting on the right assignments. I think collectively, I was I was most concerned. The key to my game, my keys to the game, the Giants game, was the, the interior three blocking, you know, two noticeably good defensive tackles, including Leonard Williams. Um, and re- other than that fumble recovery, Williams was a no-show. He, you didn't hear his name. He wasn't I'm going to go a step further. They, 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 they whipped him up front. Oh yeah! Those, oh yeah! Yeah, in, yeah. In the interior, yeah. I was, yeah. I, and, and I, I was thinking about you. Sorry to cut you off right there. No, it's okay. Because I was, I was thinking about you because I remember that was one of your keys to the game. Mm-hmm. And the interior of the Raiders' offensive line, especially um, Leatherwood and uh, James, and and specifically in the run game in regards to Alex Leatherwood, um, they were moving people and yeah. moving people around. And and uh, to me, that's a, a a good step in the right direction. Uh, for you know, for the, for this young offensive line, but uh, but you're right, you didn't really, and that's the way it should I be. Don't... I mean, it, it, coming in coming into, I know Cable's uh, sort of philosophy, especially when it comes to the offensive line. The more they play together, the better they'll be together. That's the way offensive lines gel. And that's what I'm saying to a lot of Raider Nation who was talking about, well, what's going on with this offensive line? Maybe we should make a change. Maybe we should no, 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 no. Let them. They're going to take their lumps. You're going to take exactly. your own trial by fire. You. That's the best way that you can learn. You get out there. You watch film. You see how it is playing speed. You can't. You, you can't make the club in the tub. And that's what I mean. You can't sit there on the sideline uh, and, and think that you're going to be able to learn. You got to get out there and do it. Right, and it was you know uh, because the Raiders had to uh, move on from Rodney Hudson. There were there were salary cap in, in implications. Uh, Lincoln, we've talked about this a lot. The Raiders didn't. The Ra- you know you you were expecting the salary cap this year to be in the two hundred and fifteen million dollar range, maybe even two hundred and twenty million dollars range on a normal year. Uh, you know, with the normal progression, if you were talking about two years ago, looking ahead to this year's salary cap, that's where you could have. Um, comfortably expected it to be based on the growth path of every single year prior to that. Nobody could have accounted for COVID-19 
um, you know, meaning no fans could come into the stands and no concessions. There was a huge chunk of um, money that or revenue that was not available last year, and that's what salary caps are predicated on the, the previous year's revenue. So it went down for the first time ever, or it didn't increase for the first time ever, and then it also went down. So instead of being $215 million, it was $187 million. That's a huge swing that the Raiders and everybody else had to deal with. And it meant, to be perfectly honest, having to move away from Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson. If you want to know why the Raiders had to cut or, or trade both of those players, that is why. It wasn't by design. It wasn't because they felt we're going to be a better team without those two players it was got to get down to you know uh, got to get down to 187 million dollars and then get further down if you're going to be able to sign guys like you know unique Gakwe and the mm-hmm. defensive players that mm-hmm. they needed so it was it was just a bad situation yeah. and you had Andre James who was redshirting these last couple of years ready to at least start but it, like you said it was going to be a learning curve in season it just always is unless you're just a hall of fame type player and for him it took a little while but i'm with you lincoln how many times did we hear callers uh, or people on social media you gotta get rid of andre james you gotta put somebody else in there and it was like no <laughs> what do you say lincoln you gotta play him you gotta play that's you gotta play yeah and right. that's and that and that's the thing is is most people don't understand i mean they want instant gratification i get it i, yeah. I trust me i get it especially when you have an all pro center um that that you let go um and and on on a team that's doing surprisingly well as well but there are times where you just have to make those hard decisions because at the end of the day what i've tried to express to so many people is that this is a business first i know it's entertainment but it's also a business and there are certain business decisions you have to do going back to a guy a a number of times and tell him to take a you know adjust his salary or restructure his contract if he eventually says no then you've got to figure out whether or not you want to move on with him and i trust i trust tom cable's discretion and his and his his coaching prowess because he sees these guys so for him to say you know here's a guy who played tackle in college but i think he's going to be a a decent center okay let's take a chance on him because he he was right more times than not well while we're on that uh I think you had mentioned to me, like, when they traded for Rodney Hudson, you didn't feel like he was necessarily all that at that oh, point, Oh, I was right? I was never big on Rodney Hudson. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I like the guy, personally, but I was never oh, – I, I, yeah, I was never – I was never as high on him as a lot of people were, especially coming out of Kansas City. There were to some degree, and then put it mildly, I, I thought he was, he was soft um, in a lot of ways. But, you know, he got the job done. He was efficient and effective. Oh, did he get better from that, or do you, did you still have those kind of – you didn't feel like he was worth all the hype? Is that what you're basically saying? No, I wasn't saying that. But I, I understood why they could get away from him. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you can't release him. He is the – you know, he's a foundation. No, he, uh, solid, solid player. How about that? All right. I'm glad you said that because based on everyone that, you know, that, that, that you know, uh, I don't know everyone, but the, consen- <laughs> the consensus was – was that, you know, he was, you know, one of the best in the league or the best center in the league, and you seem to have a different... Uh... Solid. He was solid. I wouldn't necessarily... Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think it's relative depending on what the offense, you know, uh, creates or what, what you what we talk about best center. I mean, what is it? He's efficient again, the snapback? What, what are you talking about? He's efficient? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, what, what is it? What is the detailer saying he's the best center? I thought he was solid. I don't think he was a blemish or a weakness. 
right. for any team. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that, you know, but, um, you know, there were times where I thought that other people had brought the more aggressive nature out of I, I believe when they had Coleccio Simile that he brought more of aggression out of Rodney Hudson that was present before than there was present before. Um, uh, a more of an aggressive nature. So I thought that Kalechi was good for that reason. But sometimes Kalechi was a little too aggressive. And he was in front of, you know, he was, he was, his aggression was used against him, especially in blocking schemes. But, you know, when you talk about, you know, he was the best center, what, what is, define the best center? You know, tell me what, 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 that, what that details. I think Rodney Hudson is good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a good, solid player. I've never thought the thought he was a cat's meow, though. Yeah, and at his number, um, it, it 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 became a too much for you know uh, the talent. Plus, they were just up against it too. Yeah. They were in 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 a, in a big way, as a lot of teams were because of uh, where the salary cap went. Uh, it was used. It always moves up. Uh, yeah. This year, it moved down. Um, so. Anyway, the long story of it is that Andre James, at least over the last, you know, it's been, a, it's, listen, Lincoln, since they made that change um, where you moved Alex Leatherwood to right guard and then put Brandon Parker in at right tackle, uh, by no means are we sitting here saying Brandon Parker uh, or this is the best offensive line or the, the, the best this, the best that. But as time has gone on, they've gone from what was, I would say kind of a glaring weakness for a little while in this season to something that's much better than that and much more reliable than that. Yeah. And and that's all you can ask, number right. one. And number two, that's enough. I think yeah. that they're fine right now uh, with this offensive line. They, they should be able to accomplish their offensive goals if this offensive line continues to play the way they're playing right now. I, I agree. I, I think that, that, that it's coming along. They've, they've figured out a scheme. I think they've got a good set of – with their run package, um, as well as what they can do in the pass pro. Um, I, I think they, they feel pretty solid uh, about it. There are a few, very few minuses that I can say when I look at collectively on this offensive line. Um, you know, I know that Colton Miller got beat. Um, the, the last play gave up the, the sack fumble, but um, that was just a bad set. That's going to happen. It's unfortunate that it comes down to that because they should have never really been in that position before but um, uh, be in, in the first place. But, you know, those, those things, Colton Miller has had a strong season. Um, I think John Simpson has come along really well from the start of the season to where he is right now, and I think he'll progressively get better. Same thing with Andre James. I think Alex Leatherwood, for the time being, has found a, a home at right guard. He's better suited for guard than it is tackle. And then just might be an offseason where you need to work with him to, to maybe chain, transition and put him back out of tackle. Brandon Parker is 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 doing the job. I mean, you still have to protect him with a chip or um, a, a tight end over the side, but he's doing better and he's learning as well. I think he has all the athleticism and all the ability to be a, a good right tackle. There are just it, it just he just has to see it. He have, he didn't see it in college on a level. He didn't see it really consistently in the first three years, but he's playing progressively better every game. So I think that's head trending in the right direction. So I'll collectively, I think the offensive line has become a strength of this team. You said and you mentioned that um, they found a scheme, they found something that works. Um, I think that's in concert with guys, you know, getting better, the group gelling and developing more chemistry and just better, more playing time and, and getting better as a unit. But in your experiences through the course of a season, um, how much, you know, obviously you're scheming up plays that you want 
to, to, to fit the strengths of your team and how you want to attack a team, um, your opponent that particular week, whatever the case might be. But how much coaching is going on in terms of, look, we're not as efficient in this area, or we may have a little bit of a, uh, you know, um, our, our, our right guard or pick whatever position, you know, is limited in certain ways. How much coaching goes into and attention gets paid to just sort of scheming around what your weakness might be in order to make sure that it doesn't become the reason why you lose again. Well, that, that's that's what coaching is about. You know, you're supposed to coach to someone's strengths and, and, and sort of nullify their weaknesses. That's true coaching. And I think that they've done that. For example, um, I, I believe that Josh Jacobs is better served going downhill straight right now to the line. I believe as far as uh, rather than stretch runs, I think Josh Jacobs is better suited. You know, when you, you're hitting the line, what they do, they, they have this one play, which we call a little bit of a, a wham, where the tight end bends back and, and hits the, the last man on the line of scrimmage. The rest of the offensive line will say, like, block to the right, and the tight end clears to the left. That's a direct, it's a, a direct motion to where the running back comes downhill right now, hits the line right now. And they've had success. Jacobs and Drake have had, have had success running those rather than stretch runs which when you are like zone runs. So schematically wise, the offensive line is better versus man with man blocking rather than zone blocking. Not to say they can't do it. Schematically wise, they're better with run blocking, man blocking. And they've had more success doing it with the run blocking. And they've seen more success. That started in the Bronco game. And that's what I mean scheme wise. As far as coaching goes, what, what Cable is doing or what coaches do in, in, in this position, you want to make sure they, have, they know where they're supposed to go. First and foremost, you know where they're supposed to go. You know what you're supposed to do. Who do you block on any given play? More times than not, when in Gruden's offense, for example, the tackle, 95% of the time you have the defensive end. That's how easy it is. You got the defensive right. end. doesn't matter what, you're, what we're running. You've got the defensive end. Yeah. Now it's just up to you to take him out and to, and to do your assignment as best you can. And because every defensive end is different, that's why you want your guys in playing because now they get the chance to see what it's like full speed uh, rather than looking on film or trying to figure out what this guy's like, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I will talk to you tomorrow. Manana. Um, tomorrow. Uh, and we will uh, get into uh, trying to figure out a path forward for the Raiders to, uh, to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I think there's a path available without question. Uh, in fact, I'd be surprised if they don't win the game on Sunday, but that's just me. Lincoln Kennedy, thank you so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You're in the huddle with Vinnie Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Wednesday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Now, back to your host, Vinnie Bonsignor. What's up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Day. You're in the huddle with anybody you're brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. First day of practice for Raider new wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun uh, said, told the Raiders on Saturday that he feels like he looks good in uh, silver and black. He did. He looked natural. It looked like it was meant to be. And for a kid that grew up in Los Angeles when the Raiders were still uh, in LA uh, and obviously playing at Cal when up in the Bay Area, uh, it kind of fits. And so it sort of came full circle. For Deshaun Jackson today, and not in uh, the absolutely in the nick of time. Uh, the Raiders need him uh, on Sunday against the New York Giants. Not having Henry Ruggs, the football player, uh, the Raiders.
Raiders needed to figure out a way to replace that. I'm not saying Deshaun will do that exactly, but he's as close to it as they could possibly find at this time of year. Um, so fortuitous for the Raiders uh, to be able to go out on the open market and be able to bring in a guy like Deshaun Jackson, uh, especially with the Kansas City Chiefs coming to town uh, on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. And along those lines, want to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in Sam McDowell. He is the Chiefs beat writer for the Kansas City Star. You can follow him at Sam McDowell 11. I want to make sure that I read that correctly, that it wasn't just a one. 11. And we're going to ask him why the 11. I, I, that's, I'm very curious now uh, if he's the 11th of the Sam McDowells or what that represents. Uh, but without further ado, uh, I want to welcome in Sam. How you doing, my friend? Hey, man, I, I wish I had a good story behind that. It was just my Little League baseball number growing up, so I stuck with it. That's awesome. Well, that's that's great. Um, I was number seven uh, when I played Little League baseball, and so that's always been my favorite number. So there you go. Uh, we, we got to the yeah. bottom of it. That's what we do as journalists, right, Sam? We get to the bottom of the story. <laughs> exactly, yeah, get, get the details. <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of which, trying to get to the bottom of things, um, I think – and I was mentioning this uh, earlier in the show, myself and probably every football fan in the country right now, every week keeps waiting for the Kansas City Chiefs, the real Kansas City Chiefs, uh, to, to emerge uh, and to return. I don't think that the Kansas City Chiefs have <laughs> quite yet, um, not at least from my perspective. Uh, I'd like to get your perspective on that. And if not, why not? What's going on with the Kansas City Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, uh, how much time do you have? Um, uh, we got a little while. We got we got some time. We got eleven minutes exactly. No, just kidding. Okay. Uh, as long as you need. Um, well, I, I think offensively, um, you know, I mean, because you know, we've seen the Chiefs' defense struggle in the past, right? So that's not a surprise. But we've seen the the, the Chiefs' offense just outscore people, and obviously in 2019, it all sort of came together with all three phases playing well. But if you went into a season and saw the defense struggle, you would say, okay, that's not entirely unexpected. Maybe they'll get it together by the end of the year. In the last two weeks, you've seen the defense play, play better. The offense has gone the other way, and that's been the really surprising part. You know, I've got buddies here that root for the Chiefs, and they ask me, did you see this coming in training camp? And I am just as surprised as a lot of people across the country that don't follow this team on a day-to-day basis. Um, for the first four weeks of the season, their offense was actually moving the ball better than it ever had during Patrick Mahomes' era in Kansas City. And they were turning the ball over. They were still, despite all their turnovers, leading the league in turnovers through the first month, averaging more points per drive than they had in 2018, 2019, or 2020. And I think that right now what they're going through is some mental battles. You know, they they did not catch many breaks at the start of the year, and I believe it's in the quarterback's head. Um, he's not playing the way we're accustomed to seeing. He's not taking the chances we're accustomed to seeing taking. And I, I just think at some point, um, you know, we will see that team, at least to a certain extent, walk through the door. But, man, it's every single week that you're just waiting for the 2018, 2019, 2020 offense because they've got a lot of the same guys. Um, you just keep waiting for that team to show up, and, and they just haven't yet. When you say that um, he's not taking chances uh, that he normally would take, is could, could we make the argument that maybe he's curtailed that because when he has this year, especially early on, he was throwing it to the other team and bad things were happening. And that's the part that's gotten in his head where now it's stopped. Now he's slowed down and taking those chances because the chance, those chances that he was taking 
didn't work out very well for him earlier on. So about a month ago, Eric Bannemi, the offensive coordinator here, of course, um, he said something along the lines of, um, you know, you can't tell guys not to turn it over because all they're going to think about is turning the ball over. And I do think that Patrick Mahomes at some point um, thought about how often he was turning the ball over, even though early in the season a lot of them were not his fault. Two of them went through Tyreek Hill's arms. He had another one go off Marcus Kemp's shoulder pads. Um, another one that was one of those balls that was batted down at the line. And, and three more that were third and long. He's about to get sacked, and he just thought, this is worth the risk. Those were his first seven interceptions. Since then, he's had some more careless types of plays to where I think he's forcing things. Um, I, like I said, I just think it's, it's all sort of meshed into this mental game, and he's never faced this at this level. Obviously, he did at Texas Tech, but at this level, he's known nothing but success on a week-to-week basis. I mean, every single week now, as you're covering this team, I, I feel like I'm on pro football reference sorting the worst, whether it's it's most interceptions he's had in a game, the worst completion percentage he's had in a game. Last week against the Packers, it was the worst yards per attempt he's ever had in his career. Um, so it's just it, it's wild to see for us, just as it is for people across the country, because, like I said, when, you, when you've covered this guy for 50 games and you're only used to seeing him succeed, it's bizarre to see him struggle. And I think that's what he's going through right now, too, is he's not accustomed to this either. And I just think that is sort of playing into to the product you're seeing now. No injuries, no physical things that we no may injuries. not know. No, no injuries. Obviously, he had the offseason toe surgery on um, you know the turf toe, um, but completely recovered for that in time to be a full go at minicamp. Right. In fact, it's not like he rushed that back. And um, But, no, I, I, I don't think that he, he's battling anything of that nature. We're talking to Sam McDowell. Uh, he covers the Chiefs for the great Kansas City Star, uh, one of the great sports sections in all of the country. Um, you can follow him at Sam McDowell 11. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the offensive line. And I think every – you didn't have to be Vince Lombardi uh, last year uh, at the, during the Super Bowl uh, or in the Super Bowl specifically – to, to really be able to pinpoint what went wrong uh, in, in that Super Bowl. Uh, the, the Chiefs didn't have their two starting tackles. It caught up to them um, against a really good Tampa Bay defense. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, as good as he was, was kind of running for his life in that game. Uh, I think if you want to figure out a way why, or why the Chiefs lost that Super Bowl, that's as good a place to start uh, as any. Well, they completely revamped this offensive line. Obviously, there was going to be some struggles anytime you're meshing in um, a, a basically a, a, almost a completely new group. There's going to be a, a little bit of a learning curve and a development process. Where are they right now uh, with the offensive line? So the, that's been sort of the under-talked-about uh, uh, storyline of this season is because of the offensive struggles, you focus on those, of course, because we're unaccustomed to seeing those. Their biggest targets in the offseason were they had to revamp that offensive line, as you mentioned. It's been really good. They're top 10 ranked when you look at like the ESPN metrics, the pro football focus metrics. They're, they're top five in run blocking and top 10 in pass blocking in both of those metrics. I do think that the quarterback, though, with Patrick Mahomes, I, I think that he still is trying to get accustomed to where those guys block. You know, Orlando Brown was brought in at left tackle. Even though all five guys are new, that's been the biggest adjustment because – when he gets beat, he gets beat with speed on the edge. And Patrick Mahomes, 
historically in his career has not been a guy that his first action is to step up in the pocket. Instead, it's to trail off left or right in the pocket. And that's still an adjustment I think he's making because the way Orlando Brown blocks, he's expecting his quarterback to, to just step up in the pocket the way the quarterback did that he used to block for with Lamar Jackson. Um, I will say they've got a couple injuries on the offensive line, both at right tackle. So their top right tackle has been Lucas Niang. He got hurt last week. Their backup is Mike Rimmers. He got hurt two weeks ago, in which case you might see Andrew Wiley at right tackle this weekend in Vegas, and he is the guy among all five that struggled in Tampa um, in February. I think he struggled the most. And so that, that, that's a big storyline to watch if Mike Rimmers and Lucas Niang continue not to practice this week. You know, we've talked um, and, and focused a lot, you know, when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Tyreek uh, Ty- Hill, uh, obviously, and uh, Travis Kelsey. Uh, two, it's just a tremendous, tremendous uh, tandem. Uh, outside of that, it's been, um, you know, a little bit chancy uh, in trying to find that, that third option, especially this year. Um, how has that process gone? And, and you know, we've heard Odell uh, Beckham being mentioned p- potentially with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, could you see that happening, and, and where are they in finding? How important has it been not having a, a dependable third target? Sure. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs are interested in Odell Black, Beckham. They've offered him a contract. It's equivalent, basically, to the veterans minimum, I'm told. Um, so now the ball's in his court, right? I mean, he's got several suitors, and so, you know, I, I think that he's interested in Kansas City, but does he want to take that money? Um, and, and, you know, when potentially other places he could get paid more, um, so that, that that's the question that he's wrestling with right now in regards to just his choice of Kansas City or, or the rest of the lot. Um, but as far as Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, I mean, those are the two guys everybody else knows, and that's that's the way defenses are playing them. I mean, they're they're playing those two de- two deep shell safeties every single snap against the Chiefs, and that takes away Tyree Kill. And then they've got extra bracketed coverage a lot of times against Travis Kelsey. The rest of the guys have not done enough to pick up the slack and win one-on-one matchups. Now, the Chiefs are seeing a lot of zone this year, and when they see zone, historically, they, Patrick Mahomes has been really good against it, but that requires the quarterback and receiver being on the same page, because a lot of their zone stuff, they, the receiver has two options of where to go, sometimes even three, and it's got to be the quarterback and receiver reading this, things the same, and that's actually a, a big chunk of what's not going well against some of those deep shell zone looks that they're seeing. We've talked about um, the Chiefs' defense, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, they've they've played uh, fair, you know, better uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, they played a Packers team without uh, without Aaron Rodgers. That has to play into it uh, a little bit. But what are you seeing that they're doing better um, that 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 should give Chiefs fans some some uh, hope that that they've turned a corner on that side of the ball? Well, first of all, it was hard to play worse than what they played over the <laughs> over True. the first seven weeks. So, so the better it, the better is relative because the the two opponents, like you mentioned, they didn't play Aaron Rodgers. They played Daniel Jones the week before. Um, but I do think there are reasons for optimism, and it starts up front. You know, they 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 had the experiment with with Chris Jones at defensive end, and it just didn't work. And at some point, they had to just cut bait on that and move him back to the three tech where you know he's really successful. Frank Clark's health has allowed him, them to do that. And then obviously they bring in Melvin Ingram last week, um, play him five days after they signed or traded for him with the Steelers. And I thought he looked like he still had some juice left. And if they can get those three guys working together, that's not a combination that they've, they haven't had a combination up front that, that you've really liked all season until the past couple weeks. 
Frank Clark's played his best football in probably a year and a half these last two weeks. And like I said, with Chris Jones back, I just think that a lot of problems can be solved with your back seven if, if your front four are working pretty well together. Yeah, I think the Raiders are uh, the epitome of that. They finally have a pass rush, uh, and it, it's making the whole operation uh, look a lot better. Um, and, and so it looks differently on that side of the ball for the Raiders. And let's stay there with the Raiders. You know, obviously the Chiefs-Raiders, it's a historic uh, matchup, a historic AFC, AFL going all the way back to those days, uh, you know, divisional uh, matchup. It's been a little bit one-sided, no doubt about it, uh, for for a good spell here. Uh, but things seem to be changing a little bit here with the Raiders uh, in spite of the recent, um, you know, uh, uh, controversy that's happened and, and, and all the off-field stuff. Uh, they're a better football team. I, I was curious what the perception of the Raiders are right now uh, in Kansas City, maybe in that locker room. Um, well, I, you know, it, it's kind of funny the the way you ask that, just because the, um, you know, I mean, in the locker room, we hear Andy Reid every single week say the exact same thing about the opponent. They're, they're a great football team. They're, we're looking forward to the challenge of, of playing so-and-so. Um, but I, I can tell you that there is respect for what the Raiders are doing right now. It, it, it's clear that the Raiders are a better football team, like you mentioned. I, the really interesting part of this matchup to me, though, is, the Raiders are significantly better against the pass than they are against the run. We've not yet seen the Chiefs just full-out commit to running the football because that's what every team has given them all season. You know, I think the Chiefs are different than the other 31 teams in the league and that they're seeing the same defense every single week. Most opponents have to sit there and say, what, 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 what's the scheme that we're going to see this week? The Chiefs know the scheme they're going to they're see every week. It's going to be those two deep safeties. And... That allows them to run the ball, but they haven't done it a lot. So I kind of think that the fact that that's the, that's the Raiders' weakness, is this the week that we see the Chiefs try and, and run the ball a lot? Because like I mentioned, the, the, and as you guys know down there, I mean the Raiders are good against the pass. Um, so, you know, everyone here is waiting on Patrick Mahomes to get back on track. I think this is going to be a tough week for him to do it. Well, we are waiting on a few things, as it turns out. Uh, can the Chiefs commit to the run uh, against a – fairly mediocre run defense and can the Chiefs finally show up uh, and and be the Chiefs uh, I think we're all curious uh, to find that out and uh, we're going to find out one way or another I guess uh, on Sunday at Allegiant Stadium Sam McDowell thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle have safe travels here to Las Vegas and enjoy your time uh, here we will see you out at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday my friend hey looking forward to it thanks for having me you got it. That's Sam McDowell from the Kansas City Star. He covers the Chiefs uh, and does an excellent job uh, doing so, uh, kind of breaking things down. And, and uh, my thought is, and, and you know, especially echoing what Sam just said, I don't think they're as far off uh, the Chiefs as you might suspect. And that's why you always have to be wary uh, of, a, of, a, of a team that's as talented as they are and has a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. It sounds like maybe something's gotten into Patrick Mahomes' head uh, and he's, he's, he's playing a little bit timidly um, or whatever the case might be. He's a little bit off right now and has been. Uh, but he's too talented of a quarterback not to get it back uh, and, and get back on where he needs to be. And the Raiders' worry, obviously, is that that's going to happen this week. But we will see. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. We'll be back to wrap things up in just a little bit. 
You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Our thanks again to Sam McDowell from uh, the Kansas City Star. Does a great job covering the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, our thanks to Lincoln Kennedy, um, who uh, is on dad duty. Uh, His son is in the high school playoffs in Arizona, Phoenix area. So uh, we wish them well as they get prepared to go play a big game. I think it's on Saturday. Uh, That's or Friday night. Could be Friday night uh, as well. So uh, we're rooting obviously for Lincoln uh, and his son to do their thing um, in the high school playoffs. There, it is that time of year. Uh, the high school football playoffs here in Nevada, California, uh, everywhere you look, uh, just a great, great, great time of year. Uh, and as we start looking ahead to, um, you know, uh, we're into November. I can't believe we're already in November in the NFL season. Uh, we're eight games into the season. Um, it's just been a kind of a roller coaster ride. Um, obviously, you know, we can we could talk for days about everything that the Raiders have gone through. Uh, I'll say this. I think they've done a tremendous job uh the coaches and and the players in that locker room uh, dealing with some very um, emotional, heartfelt, gut wrenching uh, type type things that have happened to them uh, in rapid fashion. You know, over the last month or so, they lost their coach. Um, you know, uh, a, a beloved family member, Henry Ruggs, gets into the situation that he got into. Um, you know, gut wrenching, and then Damon Arnett. You know, with with that whole uh, situation. Um, you know, it's it's been something that the Raiders have had to deal with uh, emotionally and all of that, and I think they've done a pretty good job uh, of, of doing just that. Uh, you know, the game against the New York Giants, I've been covering football, sports, the NFL, whatever the case might be, a long enough time to understand at this level, you're not going to play perfect football or, or, or perfectly uh, every single time you step on the f- f- uh, field the court, um, you know, the diamond, the baseball diamond, whatever the case is, uh, it just doesn't work that way. And sometimes you're going to shoot yourselves in the foot. That's what the Raiders did. I don't read too much into that loss against the New York Giants, uh, especially as it relates to, um, you know, the emotional drain of everything that's happened. I don't think it had anything to do with it, to be perfectly honest with you. They just got beat in a lot of cases. In a lot of ways, they beat themselves. You move on. Uh, and that's what the Raiders are tasked to do. That's the challenge that they face. Uh, obviously, it starts today in practice, uh, returning to the field to get back to work uh, as they prepare for the New York or for the Kansas City Ch- uh, Chiefs. They welcomed in a new teammate, uh, Deshaun Jackson. I was really impressed uh, talking and listening to Deshaun Jackson today, where he is uh, in his life. You know, now as a 34-year-old man, uh, it's hard to believe. I remember him when he was in high school at Long Beach Poly. Uh, It's just crazy how time flies, but it really is a beautiful thing to see when people get you know, gain experience and insight uh, and mature and wisdom. And talking to him now at 34 years old, uh, that's exactly what was expressed uh, here at Henderson. And I think he's going to be somebody that the Raiders are going to be able to lean on. I think he's going to be a positive influence in the locker room and on the football field. I think if you're going to rebound from what happened, you could do a lot worse, a lot, uh, than bringing in a guy like Deshaun Jackson at this point in the season fortuitous is the word that I've been using and uh, looking forward to seeing what he's going to be able to bring to the table uh, on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. want to thank everybody uh, all our listeners, all our callers uh, Devon Cotton hanging uh, out at home base doing his thing. Really appreciate it. We're back at it tomorrow. 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Talk to you then. <laughs>